Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Report podcast. I'm your host, Vago Maradian. Our podcast is brought to you by Bell. Since 1935, Bell has been redefining flight. Learn more about its pioneering spirit at bellflight.com. And it is my honor to welcome French Navy Vice Admiral Hervé Blejean, the Director General of the EU Military Staff. He is a distinguished officer who has served in senior NATO, EU, and French leadership roles, taking his current job from the top NATO naval role as the commander of NATO's Allied Maritime Command at Northwood. I would also note that the Admiral spent two very happy years aboard USS Nicholson, a Spruance-class destroyer, as the Assistant Operations Officer, during which uh, he qualified for his surface warfare uh, pin. Uh, sadly, that ship uh, was sunk as a target in 2004, but uh, fortunately, we've got the Admiral joining us here today. Sir, thanks very much for joining us. Bienvenue and welcome aboard. Yeah, thank you very much, uh, Vago. I'm very happy to, to be there. Uh, in fact, that's the, the last event of a very important and interesting tour I made uh, here in the United States, both in, uh, in New York to engage with the uh, uh, United Nations, but, but mainly in, in D.C. to engage with the Pentagon, with the Department of State, with the NSC, and with uh, some other important events. So very oh. happy. <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I, I'm glad. It's, uh, it's, and, and yours is uh, a series of very high-level EU uh, engagements in Washington, which for fans of the European Union uh, is, is important to see to sort of normalize uh, the relationship, right? Yeah, yeah it, 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 is a, it, it is more than that normalizing. I think, I think they have always been very, very important. It's, it's to, to continue to upgrade them. And-, um, and as you joked at CSIS, your current job is to be a little bit of a salesman for EU military capabilities. Um, obviously, the EU is, is crafting its strategic compass. Uh, one of your jobs is to sort of synthesize global uh, threats facing the European Union and its allies and partners around the world. What are the strategic threats that the EU has to be prepared to address? Um, and what are some of the conversations you're having with your uh, American counterparts? Because if you look at it, Russia is very active. China is a challenge. Uh, you have cyber. You, you mentioned weaponized uh, migrants, um, hybrid operations. We're even in a neo-nuclear age. What's, what's the right mindset necessary and, and what are the kind of threats that the European Union has to be prepared to face? And that's reflected really in the works we are doing on the, within the strategic compass. Uh, that f- first, um, we have to be able to analyze the, the, the threats and challenges in, in a broader uh, aspect, not even in a, not only in the uh, immediate neighborhood, but also uh, in deepest areas, in uh, external areas. Uh, we have to be able to act in reaction to the threats. Uh, we have able we have to, to be able to secure the, the strategic interest of the EU and the EU citizens. We have been we have to be able to to provide the necessary capability to face. So. Talking back about the threats, um, there, there, are, there are multiple, there, there are some, some uh, we say, uh, threats uh, imposed by some competitors. Uh, we have Russia, we have China. Uh, some of those competitors could be also seen as partners in some other areas. And I'm taking the example of China. We obviously absolutely do not agree what they are doing in the uh, politique du fait accompli in, uh, in uh, South China Sea. But uh, at the same time, for instance, we are engaged to fight against piracy in the Horn of Africa. So, so sometimes there are some balanced uh, approach. But uh, uh, I would like to especially to focus on, the, on, the, on that gray zone. I don't like the, the, the term hybrid. 
space, but uh, but uh, it's a common commonly accepted agreed language. So we I will use it. So we are we have entered an unpeace uh, area, and uh, I would quote a former Sakur command saying, "We we have entered an era uh, where we remain." Uh, below the threshold of war, but we are above the threshold of action. And that's in that gray area that, that we are uh, moving at the present time. And I can say that um, seeing what's happening in cyberspace, in the outer space, uh, in the defending the global commands in the maritime, uh, there is every day a kind of new course of action. And for instance, the weaponization of the migration uh, by uh, Belarus against uh, some of our member states there is something certainly we're not foreseeing uh, some years ago. And it's an extreme uh, course of action, uh, putting in distress uh, human beings. Uh, So this is very disturbing. And that's certainly something we have to really face uh, today and in the years to come. And, and, and obviously, one of the goals uh, in crafting the strategic compass, and indeed your role, is to bolster EU military capabilities, right, as a, as a complement to NATO, but not in opposition. A number of European leaders, Emmanuel Macron, uh, uh, German Chancellor Angela Merkel, have said that Europe has to have a sovereign ability to act in its own interest. What are some of the specific capabilities that the EU has to develop um, organically, right? Because you, you've made it clear you don't want to reinvent the NATO wheel. Uh, in fact, 21 uh, of either the EU, 21 EU nations are also NATO members. What are the kind of sovereign capabilities that have to be developed to, to deal with these long-range uh, threats and challenges? First, I would like the, the EU has to upgrade its uh, level of ambition uh, in, in, the, in the action. And that's what we want to reflect in the strategic compass. Uh, uh, first, that would be about the politic we, political will, and, and, and that means the, 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 the efficiency and the speeding up of the decision-making process, where we need more agility, more flexibility, uh, more, uh, more, more promptness uh, to uh, be able to collectively decide when, when there is a crisis emerging. Uh, somewhere or, or forcing some, some, somewhere. So, so that's the first part we are working on by, by we, with some, some tools already existing with a treaty, doing some advanced planning and so on. And then we have to set a level of ambition for action. And, and when we are talking about action of the EU in the, in, the, in the military sphere, I'm not referring to the difference of the territory of, 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 the, of, the, of Europe. This is for NATO, this is Article 5, and there is no questioning about it. We, we are talking about the common security and defense policy, enabling EU to get outside of its borders uh, to uh, defend its strategic interest and to defend its um, uh, own uh, citizens. And so, we, we want to set up uh, by, uh, by 25 the capacity, the capability of conducting an operation up to 5,000 uh, troops on the ground uh, with the enablers, um, including in a non-permissive environment outside of the borders of, of, uh, of EU. So it's not creating a new force, it's creating the ability to conduct an operation. The fourth generation, it's another story. It could be ad hoc solution, could be based on the existing tools like the EU battle group. We need to revitalize. 
but that's that's how we see the cap capability uh, of of acting. And of course, in support of that, we have to uh, develop all the capabilities needed by the member states. Either they are using them uh, through uh, EU, NATO, or for national interest. I, I will just make a quick comment on the NATO-EU relationship. In no way, and uh, uh, as you mentioned, and uh, I've been NATO and EU, and uh, being believer and practitioner of both religions, um, and so we'll never do anything to our NATO. And, and the 21 member states, uh, which are also NATO members, are very, very carefully uh, uh, scrutinizing what we are doing um, uh, and to make sure that we'll, it will not harm NATO. So when the strategic compass will be adopted by all those member states, that means they are generally uh, certain that there will be no harm to NATO. And by the way, EU doesn't possess any capabilities or forces. Member states do. So the final word is always the, 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 the member states' decision to decide where they have to put the, 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 the priorities. Uh, so there is no way that EU could duplicate uh, NATO effort uh, by diverting uh, forces uh, from NATO because we have a single set of forces uh, uh, among the member states. It's not like they are dividing their efforts between 10% uh, to EU, 25% to NATO, and the rest for national interest. It's all the same. So it's all about a, 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 a sovereign decision by themselves. The, the, the sovereignty of EU is only the added sovereignties of the member states. Uh, well, that, you, you raise a very in, uh, important question, right? Because in Washington, um, any discussion of EU capability is looked at as something that reduces NATO capability. How do you respond uh, to, to people who, who still maintain that argument, right? Instead of looking at this as a positive development, have a tendency of looking at it as, as an anti-NATO development. How do you respond to people um, when, when they raise those concerns? Well, I, I do explain what I've just um, explained in that, in that there is by construct no, 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 no way to, to harm uh, NATO by, by the EU. And um, we can give some illustration on, on, uh, on what does it mean. Um, we have to acknowledge that the that, uh, EU uh, sometimes may have to uh, intervene in defense of its own strategic interest. Uh, uh, autonomously, because because uh, NATO will not be uh, necessarily interested in its agenda uh, to do uh, to do the job, because they have some other uh, priorities on it. But but I would like to comment. I've 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 been doing really a series of top level meetings, uh, and and I've uh, encountered. A lot of positive moods on 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 the in, in here in the in the U.S. on on what we are developing uh, in the EU, what what uh, what the, the 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 ambition of the EU to upgrade uh, its ability to 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 act, uh, and 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 I think we are uh, slightly uh, getting out of that rhetoric of, of duplication that requires from us a lot of explanations of pedagogy. Maybe we have not been so good in the past. To do that, but that's also the the, the reason of my presence uh, here today. Uh, what does the EU want from the United States? What does the United States want from EU? And and where? 
how, how do you, what do you want this relationship to look like five, 10, 15, 20 years from now? Well, um, that's a very uh, timely question. <laughs> I would say uh, yesterday uh, I was attending a, a lunch uh, hosted by, by uh, Wendy Sherman, the Deputy Secretary of State uh, on one side and uh, uh, Secretary General for the uh, European External Action Service, Stefano Sanino on the other side to launch the first ever uh, strategic dialogue uh, between US and EU on defense and security. Uh, so what, what we do expect first is to reaffirm that the transatlantic bond is vital for EU and we think it's vital uh, for US as well. We have to see that in a complementary way, an economy of effort. Uh, a sharing of the burden uh, in, 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 some, in some ways. And we are not starting from scratch. Uh, I enjoy already because I'm, I'm also the mission commander of, of all the EU military training missions, uh, which are in Africa, in Mali, Central African Republic, Somalia, and Mozambique. And I already enjoy a very uh, fluid uh, relationship with, with uh, come US Africa, uh, on that come US UCOM also. Um, and and but we need we need to get out of uh, I would say the, the bottom-up approach, the initial uh, the, the in personal initiatives because we know each other and so uh, we know how to do things to put some more political flavor on that to, for more top-down approach. But we need from that dialogue to be very concrete to deliver. So so I do hope that we will build in the years to come a kind of some kind of roadmaps in, in different areas and especially how we can support uh, each other uh, in some uh, theater of uh, operations and missions, uh, how we can uh, look at uh, common uh, development of capabilities. You know, we have uh, associated uh, United States, Norway, Canada in the PESCO project about military mobility. That's a very good step. Uh, we are starting uh, the discussion of the implementation of an administrative arrangement between the EUS and the European Defense Agency. All, all that um, will be uh, developed within the, the, the years to come, but should find a concrete uh, applications with, within some years. So, so really looking for, 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 for those roadmaps and for uh, a relationship that in 10 years will be without any ambiguity on one side and one other, because this relationship not only is vital, but, but it's natural between us. There, there is a tendency, um, certainly in Washington, of, of looking at hard power as the most important instrument. But if you look at it, one of the um, unique instruments that um, the EU brings is extraordinary diplomatic and economic sanctioning power, for, for, for example. What are some of the other unique elements from your standpoint the EU brings to any security relationship as you work it all the way across the spectrum, sir, from, from phase zero all the, way, uh, all the way up? I think one of one strength of the European Union and, and which would be very complementary uh, to what US or NATO is able to do is what we call the integrated approach. Uh, EU has a lot of instruments uh, in its hand. Uh, and so each time we are looking at some crisis management, we are not looking at it only 
from the military angle, but we have instrument, we have brick on the military, and that's what I'm in charge of, but we have also bricks on security, interior security forces development. We have bricks on welfare development, on, on uh, uh, administration, uh, efficiency development, and so on. And that's, that's something which is unique because uh, in, in that case, EU as the, the, is the legal body enabling to implement that integrated approach in, in the crisis management. And, and uh, we all know that, that the hard power is maybe the first step of a crisis management, but cannot be the solution if we want to implement a sustainable and viable solution for, for a, a country we would like to help. So I think that's, that's one, of the, one of the very strong um, uh, capacity that that EU has, along with the diplomacy sanctions and and, and so on, where we are pretty uh, efficient. But it's not only that. So, integrated approach is the key word for uh, um, uh, EU enablement. You know, you mentioned an integrated approach. Uh, the you know you're working on uh, you're obviously the strategic compass. Uh, the United States is working on its national security, its national defense, its Indo-Pacific strategy. Uh, there are cyber elements to this. There's a nuclear posture review, as as you know, and you've probably been briefed briefed uh, uh, even on our our, our global uh, posture review. How how are you integrating what you're doing, and how mu- how much? How much more integration do we need between the EU and the United States and indeed the EU and NATO when it comes to crafting these strategic documents and increasingly defense spending levels, right? I mean, it seems as though everybody sort of does their own strategic reviews. Everybody sets their own spending levels. Everybody sets their own priorities. And ultimately, we find we're not as interoperable as we need need to be. We're not as integrated as we need to be. We find out, for example, that we can't get units from one side of Europe to the other side of the Europe, another important role uh, that the EU plays. What, what is the level of integration we need among our strategies and our capability development organizations? Because it doesn't seem like we work as closely and in as integrated a fashion as we need to, given the kind of threats, collective threats we all face. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure we'll go to a full integrated uh, approach in, in, in the way we, we are working uh, together, but, but more complementarity. Uh, and, and there are different fields on that. First, you, you mentioned Indo-Pacific. EU has also developed uh, a new EU strategy for partnership in, in, the, in the Indo-Pacific area because EU uh, is uh, a, a global player on the international scene. And, and we see there that uh, we have also to link with the like-minded uh, partners, uh, even if they are far from us and far from some concerns of the member states. And, and I'm talking about, about Australia, about Japan, about India. And on, on, on that, uh, sometimes, you know, uh, there are some of us more uh, involved with, with, um, uh, with some country and we can easily... Uh, depending on the situation, uh, play a role of, of, of uh, go-between uh, to, to ease also the access of the, the other uh, partner uh, to, to, to those countries to have a consistent uh, policy of cooperation with the like, like, uh, like-minded uh, people. But, but there are some other fields and, and, and we can address the, the, the capacity development uh, field on, on, on that, that cooperation. 
you know, I'm I'm in charge uh, as a as a director general of the EU military staff to measure uh, the gap existing between the declared capacities capabilities for EU uh, by the member states and the level of ambition uh, driven by the common security and defense policy. We have to consider that 85% of those gaps identified are also gaps identified by NATO. So that means we have, we have the tools there to answer in the same way to both organizations' needs. Uh, and that's quite very important to, 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 to remember that. My, my um, capability planning cycle is entirely aligned on the NATO one, on the, uh, the NDPP, uh, from on, the, on the NATO side. We, we do back-to-back briefs to the, to the, to the member states. Uh, who I have liaison officer in, in, in shape in the in the in the NDPP uh, close to the NDPP team there. So so that that's certainly a field where we will naturally find a synergy because uh, and there there is no surprise there. We are talking about military capabilities. Uh, there is uh, um, there is no no differences between or very few differences between the, the gaps we have analyzed on the EU side and the NATO side. And there are also uh, a lot that we can do, I think, uh, in the uh, in developing all what we need uh, in the field of uh, uh, emerging and disruptive technologies, in the field of cyberspace, in the field of, of uh, controlling the outer space uh, and so on. So all those, well, they are not new, but they are more. They are still under development. Uh, areas uh, are really uh, fit for stronger cooperation, uh, not only between EU and NATO, but but certainly between EU and US. Uh, but how do you uh, achieve these kind of capability levels? Right. I mean, one of the uh, big complaints, obviously, on this side of the Atlantic, is that uh, nations. Uh, are not investing as much as they should in their own security and capabilities. I know France is trying, for example, with the SCAF program, uh, and uh, obviously the UK has the Tempest effort. So there are regional efforts in order to preserve these kind of capabilities. But ultimately, what are wh- what's the way to convince nations that they should be, you know, they're not spending on defense, they're investing in their security. Um, what's the education role that you're playing and what else can the union do, the EU do, to convince its member nations to make the kind of investment that's necessary, given the challenges that the EU is facing? And indeed, as you said, with, with a, a, a union of global importance, it also has global responsibilities, right? I mean, there are 2 million EU citizens, French citizens, for example, that live in the Indo-Pacific. Well, uh, I, I think... Um... Uh, I would I would slightly disagree with your appreciation. I think there is a dynamic there. Uh, maybe it's not going fast enough. Maybe it's been it has been a bit hampered by by the COVID situation. Uh, but really, there is a dynamic on on uh, on on uh, spending more, investing more, uh, which is more appropriate uh, for the security of the of the EU citizens. So we are. On the on the right track, maybe we would like it to 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 go faster, but we have also to face the principle of of, of reality there. But I can tell you, I've seen the evolution 
yeah, in 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 mindset of of, of uh, EU member states. Yeah. You see all the new instruments we have developed, the European Defence Fund to help the industry in the field of research and development in dual use, uh, the PESCO uh, project, uh, which are. Uh, most of them addressing some gaps and also addressing some gaps identified in NATO. The European uh, peace facility that will allow uh, to to also to support better efficiency in missions and and operations through uh, equipment of uh, partners. Uh, all that, if you look back five years ago, uh, all that was not possible and was not even in the dreams. So so that means. There, uh, the, 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 there is a dynamic which is at play and, and, and expressing itself through not only uh, what, what the member states are doing in their sovereign capacity, but also in, in, in the collective of the, of the, of the EU. So, so I think it's, it's, it's going on the right direction. And I would say, unfortunately, there are some events that are, you know, uh, uh, helping uh, the, 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 that consciousness of the need to be more capable in uh, ensuring our own security and, and the EU uh, citizen uh, security. You know, uh, terror attacks, uh, what happened in, um, in, in, in Crimea, uh, what's happening in Belarus, uh, what's happening uh, at the border of Ukraine today, all, all those threatening signals are very um, encouraging the countries to, to think twice and better on their own security. So, so it's, it's going, from for my point of view, it's, it's going on some kind of right direction. Um, you know, I just, uh, we've got about five minutes left and I've got a, a couple of more questions, but I have to ask you about capability. You know, you mentioned uh, airlift uh, and mobility, strategic mobility is an important piece of this, but you also talked about future and disruptive technology. What, you know, even though you have a very small staff of about 250 people, um, you're trying to do a, a massive job. How, how can you help move that needle, especially when it comes to capability development? And, and what's the role you can play to focus people's attention on what they should prioritize? For example, you know, in your estimate, what are the most interesting disruptive technologies, uh, perhaps, that member nations should be focused on? Well, uh, so the, the, the way we are, we are doing it is that we, we provide or we try to provide at the EU military staff the, the, the military expertise to all the EU institutions. So um, the, the, my, my role there uh, in support of the Commission, in support of the External Action Service, in support of the Council would be to um, uh, confront their ideas to the military need of the end user that are the militaries uh, in, in that perspective to, to tell them, okay, we think uh, that that's, it's, uh, it's very nice, but it's a gadget that, that we will uh, not be necessarily uh, very relevant in an operation and mission, but, but this, is, this is something that, that we will really need. And, and, and from them, uh, we, we need also to have concept of uh, employment. Um, on that. So on, on the uh, disruptive technologies uh, th themselves, um, I, I would say there are different fields where we can, we can act. There, there are so, so the, the assertive fields, how we, how we do uh, develop some, some artificial intelligence solution in the cyberspace, uh, for instance, uh, to be uh, more 
uh, efficient in the attribution and the retaliation if 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 it's uh, if it's uh, needed. Um, so all, all the you know high energy uh, weapons or or some kind of uh, uh, non-lethal but uh, but very uh, very helpful uh, weapons to to decrease the efficiency of some other equipment. But there is another field. Where, where we see and which is very in the in the DNA of uh, of uh, of uh, of the EU, it's also the field related to the to the climate change and uh, and there we are we have a great deal of, of research within the EU member states about how do we how do we uh, um, uh, have smart, for instance, camps deployed uh, in operations and, and, and missions. Uh, having a lot of, of new technologies uh, to uh, decrease and one day to the level of zero uh, the, 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 the energy uh, dependency, the, the, the carbon uh, uh, print uh, and so on. That, that's also this kind of, uh, of development we have to think to. Uh, sir, I want to go to, to the Indo-Pacific. At CSIS, you made a, uh, a fascinating statement that the Chinese uh, Navy fields uh, every two years the same tonnage as the entire French Navy, which is one of the world's most sophisticated naval forces. Um, there is a lot of concern uh, in the United States that China could miscalculate and that actually capability development, alliance cultivation, a global focus uh, of bringing allies and partners together, right? We have the German Navy, the Bayern was in in, in the neighborhood. Uh, the French um, Navy has been very present and indeed the French Air Force has been present in the region as well on exercises and deployments. From your standpoint, what, what are, where in the theater um, do EU assets have to be placed in the entire Indo-Pacific where they can make the biggest difference? And then from the standpoint as a military leader, if, if China takes an action that jeopardizes an American treaty ally, the United States gets involved. And once the United States gets involved, NATO could get involved, right? I mean, sometimes there's this sense um, that's evolving among NATO countries that, wow, you know, we could actually end up in a conflict in the Pacific. From your standpoint, where do EU capabilities have to be distributed in the theater? And what kind of thinking do EU nations have to do given that a conflict, it, should it break up between the United States and China or America's allies and China? Okay, uh, so thank you for that uh, very, very relevant question on China. And, uh, uh, you know, it's um, very interesting that EU has been very concentrated, focusing uh, on, on, on the recent past and on the, on the very close neighborhoods. I know uh, EU is starting to look uh, on, the, on the broader aspect and uh, Indo-Pacific is no one of the of the new uh, development that, that that we have uh, in the uh, Indo-Pacific strategy. Uh, of course, we see the maritime as being uh, one of the key uh, aspect uh, there, and and so we mo most of the assets that we can deploy and, and that will be uh, few few of them because of the distance from the eu but will be uh, maritime uh, maritime assets ma mainly so mainly there are two areas where where member states are interested in deploying assets uh, first is is mainly the north of the indian ocean uh, i would say from red sea uh, to uh, to um, to the persian gulf to uh, um, uh, the, the, the Strait of Hormuz, where we have different uh, operations and missions 
uh, Atalanta, uh, French-led uh, operation uh, Agenor in Strait of Hormuz, but also uh, US-led uh, CMF operation uh, and, and so on. So there we, we see that there is a greater deal of coordination uh, needed. And, and we would like to implement uh, our concept of coordinated maritime presence, which is a way to better share the information between the member states first, and also with the other uh, stakeholders and coastal partners. And we, we, we are looking in implementing a maritime area in interest of this, um, this area. The second area of concern in the maritime will be in the, in the Pacific, uh, the South China Sea, where we would like to, to, to fight against the de facto policy that has been imposed uh, to us by, by China, by demonstrating the, 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 the freedom uh, of, of navigation there in accordance with international laws at sea. Uh, and, and for that, again, uh, it's better uh, when we have a, a better uh, way of coordinating uh, between EU member states instead of having uh, single member states uh, policies uh, within that, that, that area. So that's, that's an area where, where, uh, where we are looking in developing. Um, we will always stand behind the United States in case of anything will happen. But we, we have to be honest within ourselves. Uh, EU will not have really the, 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 the capabilities uh, to uh, intervene uh, with a strong military support in this area so far from, uh, uh, from, uh, from the uh, EU uh, territory. So I think the complementarity here will will stay uh, within what we described, the, 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 the integrated approach, what we can do with the sanctions and so on in complementarity with any uh, action in case of, uh, of aggression. And uh, I'm not sure uh, that there will be here some, some ground for NATO to legally intervene because, because we're, uh, um, except if, if we have to invoke Article 5, because that will be an aggression against the United States. Uh, but, but that will be, I think, uh, uh, more maybe more difficult, or there will be more discussions about uh, having um, uh, NATO uh, being in, in the lead there. I, I would see better an ad hoc coalition uh, beyond the United States within the capable uh, member states. Um, let me ask you one last question. You you spent two uh, happy years aboard a USS uh, aboard USS Nicholson, a U.S. Uh, destroyer. What did that experience uh, teach you? Uh, because you were already an experienced uh, French naval officer. Um, what what did you learn from spending time with the U.S. Navy? Well, uh, thank you to uh, remind me my 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 happy uh, past and experience there. I'm always saying that uh, if I'm a DGEUMS today. It's because I've been 30 years ago an external officer on board a U.S. Navy ship, uh, where I learned um, uh, to open my mind to uh, other uh, considerations, to other uh, priorities, to other ways to do things. But where uh, where I learned also uh, that uh, we are so common, we are so together, we are so joint in the way we are looking at doing things that uh, even from in comparison from a, a small country like France, I had nothing to be, to be uh, ashamed uh, in my skills when serving on board a, a US Navy ship. And then that, that fed 
I think my appetite for the operations, uh, we did a lot of contra-drug operations, my appetite for, for, for the understanding of, of, uh, of the multinational uh, interest because uh, we are stronger together, obviously. Uh, thank you. That's a, that's a great answer, sir. And by the way, that surface warfare pin looks very good on your chest. Um, <laughs> last question, the UK. Um, the United Kingdom uh, obviously was a very important EU nation. Your predecessor, Issa Pulkinen, uh, lamented the departure of a lot of highly qualified uh, UK officers, uh, obviously in the wake of Brexit. What does the EU-UK military relationship look like uh, going forward? Um, as the the you you know as as tensions continue unfortunately to simmer, uh, obviously there is an Anglo-French element of this under the Lancaster House. Uh, but what but what is what are you doing to make the relationship more structured? Uh, unfortunately, and, and unfortunately, I would say at the present time nothing because we cannot, uh, and I will elaborate a little bit more. So you know that the defense and security aspects were not part of the negotiation of the Brexit, and so no, I would desperately like to start officially those kind of, of discussions because when we are talking about defending Europe, whatever you put that on on the EU. Uh, framework on another one, we cannot do that without, without having the, the, the UK on board. That, that's nonsense. So we need to heal the scars of the Brexit, but we need to go uh, as soon as we can to a proper discussion on defense and security uh, matters. Uh, uh, but at the present time, uh, the conditions are not set uh, to have that, that discussion officially. Of course, I have I've been three years in, in UK. I enjoyed my time in, in Northwood. I have a lot of British friends. Two, uh, two of, uh, out of three of my kids are living in UK. So it's also very uh, personal to me. Um, uh, and it's not only a matter of, of losing, you know, a uh, few, few officers in, in, the, in the staff. Uh, it's, it's really a matter of, of a strategy we have to develop together to better ensure uh, or common security uh, in not only uh, within the Europe uh, territory, but also elsewhere where we are, you know, when we are acting in the Gulf of Guinea, when we are acting in Africa, when we are in the, in the Pacific and Indo-Pacific, where the, 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 the our British friends are there as well. And, 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 and we need to find the, the best ways to uh, restart and enhance the cooperation between us. Sir, thank you so much for being so generous with your time. It was an honor and pleasure uh, to talk to you. I look forward to continuing uh, the dialogue and discussion and wish you all the best um, in, in trying to spearhead what is uh, a vitally important transatlantic relationship. Merci beaucoup. Uh, thank you very much, Vago. That was a great pleasure for me.